Welcome to the Athletes in the Arts podcast, hosted by Stephen Karaginas and Yasi Ansari. Hello again, and welcome to the Athletes in the Arts podcast. I am Stephen Karaginas, along with Yasi Ansari, and we're so happy to have you with us today. Athletes in the Arts is a consortium of 17 different sports medicine and performing arts medicine organizations. So go to athletesandthearts.com for more information and resources for performing artists. If you like what you hear on our show today, don't let me stop you from clicking subscribe and leaving a review. Our show is sponsored by schoolhealth.com, the one-stop full-service provider of health supplies and services to professionals in educational settings from preschool to college for over 60 years. Go ahead and check them out at schoolhealth.com. So we want to focus our show today on figure skating. Now, figure skating is very similar to gymnastics and even some dance competitions where there is an aesthetic and athletic component to competition. These are activities where we see incredible displays of athleticism, of course, but also beauty and grace, as well as pure athletic talent. But always there's a part of the competition that depends upon the presentation and the aesthetic appearance of the performance. As we usually talk about here on the show, it's not enough for a performing artist to just execute a skill or a technique. They have to nail it every single time and look good doing it. This fascinated Yasi and I, and since we haven't really talked about figure skating on our show, we figured we'd bring in one of the greatest figure skaters in U.S. history to talk about with us today. So joining us on the show is Todd Eldridge, six-time U.S. champion, six-time world championship medalist, including a world championship, three Olympics, and induction into the U.S. Figure Skating Hall of Fame in 2008. Now, joining us on our show is one of the founding members of Athletes in the Arts, Julie Kirchin, who became friends with Todd in a most unusual and serendipitous way. I'll have her explain that in a moment. Todd and Julie, we're so excited to have you both here with us on the Athletes in the Arts podcast. How are you both doing? Sounds sounds good. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here as well. Awesome. Um, So I want to, I just can't wait to get started with with Todd. Todd, can you tell us a little bit about your history and when you began ice skating? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I start, I started, I grew up on Cape Cod. Uh, I started skating when I was five and a half years old. Uh, mom took us, my brother and I to the rink and we went to a regular public session like a lot of people do and went out there. And of course I was clutching the side of the boards because this stuff was slippery and I didn't know what to do. And my brother just took off and went flying around the ice because he was the daredevil of the two of us. <laughs> and um, <laughs> anyway, it, uh, it kind of all snowballed from there. We got signed up in the learn to skate classes and then I stuck with it. My brother got dizzy doing the spins, So he decided that was it for him. He was going to go do other things. And uh, sure enough, there I was off and running with learned skate classes and then private lessons and so on and so forth. And here we are a few years later uh, with uh, a few things <laughs> happened between then and now. So. so so why figure skating? Was that in your family? Like what yeah. what was so important for your mom to get? You, you know, it was, it was something. Skating? It was 1976. The Olympics were happening. We were watching it on TV just like everybody did. And uh it just kind of sparked an interest of, hey, let's go ice skating. I mean, we grew up in the Northeast, so uh, it was the same kind of thing. You've you know, frozen cranberry bogs in the wintertime, and people go skate outside and the whole bit. And it was, uh, my mom just said, hey, let's all go skating. And we're like, okay, cool. And so we tried it, and I fell in love with it. And, uh, yeah. So. You've had such an impressive career. I would love to know like some of the highlights of when you began ice skating, some of the things that you think back to and that you really loved about the beginning stages of ice skating. Um, early stages, I, the most fun really was one, being a part of the class structure and kind of having fun with the other kids. And I mean, we used to do the hokey pokey on the ice and do all kinds of stuff. Our, 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 the rink where I, I started skating was kind of a family-run rink, and they made it kind of a family atmosphere, and you were part of the family and the whole bit, and it was it was really cool. And you know they would they would do unique things and, and have fun and have parties and so on and so forth, and and uh, so they kind of made it a really fun experience for the kids, and you know that that just kind of kept me interested in in wanting to learn and do more and 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 stay with it because it was fun, and. Um, you know, I, I 
I just remember doing that all the time and, you know, enjoying the classes. And then as you get a little bit more advanced and you start doing new things, you start learning some jumps and you start learning spins and all those things, then you, you know, I, I, I was like, well, Hey, this is really cool. I, I learned this new thing and I learned this new thing. <laughs> I remember learning my first waltz jump, which is obviously the very first thing you learn half a turn. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I learned it and I was like, Hey mom, check this out. I showed my mom my first waltz jump and I fell straight on my chin and we were off to the hospital to get stitches. So it was, <laughs> it was a nice introduction, but as soon as I, apparently I don't remember it, but apparently my mom was like, Hey, as soon as you got your stitches, you wanted to go back to the rink. I'm like, okay, I, I guess I was hooked at that point. I wanted to go back and do it again. So, um, but that was, I mean, that was kind of the, the earliest part. And, and then, you know, you, just the, the excitement of, as with almost anything you, you, you learn new things, you master new skills, you know, and, and, you know, with any kid who's just really interested in something, um, you know, to, to achieve certain things and, and learn all these new, new things. And, and just the, the, the sheer, just, I don't know, just joy and fun of gliding on the ice. It was something that really kind of grasped, grabbed me and, and I just always loved skating around the ice fast, uh, you know, and, and, once I let go of the wall, uh, but just going around fast and gliding and jumping and spinning and doing all the crazy stuff. And, and it was, uh, you know, just that, that freedom, I guess, to, to that movement and, and, uh, that you just can't really find anywhere else. How is there a break between like folks who like to go fast and maybe do, would do speed skating versus like figure skating with all the specific technical tricks and, and, and techniques and such, like you mentioned going fast, like, is there a, uh, like a point in your training where you can go one path versus the other. How does that usually work? Well, it's interesting because the and I don't, it's, I don't really know how many people get into speed skating other than seeing it on TV and saying, "Hey, I want to try that." I guess right. That's what I was asking. Because yeah. it's not as it's not really as prevalent in a lot of the rinks. That's not you know a lot of kids aren't introduced to it right away. It's like okay, you're either in figure skating or hockey. Boom, that's it. Yeah, pretty much. There's no real speed skating programs around the rink or around the, the country to, to go, Hey, I'm going there. Unless you're in one of the either former Olympic sites like Salt Lake city or, you know, some of those places that they actually have those type of things. It, you're not, you're not really introduced to it. So it's, uh, it was either figure or hockey and, uh, I was not going to go get my teeth knocked out. So I decided figure skating was a little bit more interesting. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just got kind of steered towards that direction and, and it was, I just enjoyed it and had fun. Now, I remember watching you perform, and one of the things that announcers would always talk about with you was like your incredible technical skill. You're you're uh, you're like a technician on the ice, and so how do you like? Would you credit that more to like how you're coached, to how your determination is to perfect things, your perfect a perfectionist nature? How does because it was always something remarkable about your skill is that aspect. So how would you say that developed either? I, th- I think I think a little bit of both. I think coaching, you know, it, it was it's always geared initially. My, my very first coach was a great jumper and he did these really big jumps and all this stuff. And so he kind of instilled that in his, his skaters at that time was, Hey, let's go for these really big, cool jumps and and all this stuff. So I think that's where I just felt a little bit more um, excited. And, you know, I was on the ice and like, yeah, okay, I'm going to try it. He does this huge axle. I want to do that someday too. And, and so, yeah, so it was, uh, (laughs) I, I kind of gravitated towards that whole concept and, and, um, you know, I, I, I've, if I could today, I would still love to go out there and, and, you know, jump around and do all the crazy stuff that I used to do. Uh, it's just, I don't know, there's just a kind of an interest in it. And like you say, perfectionist, I had a perfectionist kind of mentality right. when I was a skater and, and, you know, and that's something that in any, you know, highest level of any sport or, you know, athletics, you try to achieve, the top level you try to be the best at whatever you can do and that takes an an element of i need to be perfect if you will i need to try to achieve that not that you ever will but i try to achieve that concept and you know trying to uh, land the jumps and and learn new jumps and and be consistent with the new jumps and the the spins and everything and and my routines as as i was practicing um was where i kind of really grabbed on and was like, Hey, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to 
be the most consistent skater. I want to be the, the best skater at, at these things. And uh, I look at skaters that came before me, like Brian Boitano, Scott Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Those guys, they were national champions, world champions many times in a row and known for their consistency in their skating. So that was something that I admired and, and looked up to and tried to also emulate and, and be like. And, and uh, you know, hey, these guys are consistent. They're winning. I got to go be consistent if I want to be at that level someday. So it, it was kind of in my nature, but it was also, you know, monkey see, monkey do. These guys are doing it. So I guess I better do it too. Sure. So you hit, you know, as your career starts taking off in the early 90s, you have a period of time, from what I recall, you had a couple of years, I think, where you had a lot of injuries that you were dealing with. So you get up to that point, you haven't hit all your goals in your career, you have all these injuries hitting you. But like when I was in med school in 1991, the idea of sports psychology and mental health uh, was like pretty much non-existent, a handful of people in the country. So how, with all that pressure, how did you handle those injuries? Because you came back to do well afterwards, but like that must have been, for all that period of time, must have been very difficult. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, and to, to achieve in 1990, I won my first national title 91, my second, and then 92 was the Olympics coming up. And that was the year that kind of started my back injury. And, and, and I guess my, my kind of spiraled down a little bit before I had my comeback, um, you know, and, and it started with my back and there were, you know, other injuries and things like that as sure. any athlete gets. But, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a very difficult time. I mean, you, you achieve a certain level, you make it to a world championship, you met a little world championship, you got the Olympics coming up the next year. It's like, yeah, I'm on the right track. I got a lot of things going in the right direction. And then boom, back injury, it starts to go the other direction. And, and, uh, you know, the following year, same thing, you know, just the, the back was okay, but it was the confidence in, is it okay? Isn't it okay? can I still kind of train and push through it and, and, you know, self doubts and things like that, you know, start creeping in. Uh, you know, it was, it was, a it was, that was probably 93 was probably the toughest year. Um, you know, 94, I was in good shape and, and they kind of switched the Olympics up and they moved the winter Olympics up to two years, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of offset things. And then, so it was the winter Olympics coming up again. I got sick at the, uh, I have the flu at the national championships, which was our qualifier back then. Oh man. And, came in fourth, missed it by a couple spots. And, you know, it was, I, I was skating great up until there. So it was kind of a unfortunate thing. It wasn't an injury, but you know, got an illness. illness yeah. Sure enough, it kind of takes you out of the, the picture, but, uh, you know, I, in any, in anything, in anything in life, pretty much, I mean, you're ups and downs, right? Sure. So uh, it, it, I, I worked, as you say, it was, it was the whole concept of sports psychology was a very, new concept and and trying to figure figure out how to deal with certain scenarios and certain things i worked with a a gentleman in colorado when i lived there um that had worked with some skaters also and uh he really really kind of helped me through a few things um early in my career uh even before the back injury and stuff and then i kind of tapped into that as well during that period of time and it 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 helped me get through it but it, it was not you know a a smooth and easy road you know it took a while to to really kind of sink in and get there because you know as with anything and and any kind of thought process you can work on things and you can talk about things and but when it comes to actually getting out there and it's just on you to go out there and do it there's always stuff in the back that that kind of creeps in and and you know it doesn't matter you could be the strongest mind in the world it's there's still going to be stuff in the in the back of your mind that kind of creeps in there and can have an effect on your performance. Todd, did you have to take time off when you had your back injury? Uh, well, unfortunately, it happened during the Olympic season. So I was I had to withdraw from the national championships. And then due to my previous placement the year before, I was selected to the Olympic team. So I didn't really have time. I had I had to try and rehab uh, my, my back injury. I went to Boston, actually, and, and worked with the Red Sox doctor there. And... Uh, he helped me kind of get back into figuring out what was going on and how to address it and how to fix it in the short month, basically that we had between the nationals and, and the Olympics. So uh, it was feeling okay, but not a hundred percent. I'd say it was about 90% mm-hmm. uh, before I went there. So it was pretty darn good. Uh, but again, it, it, going into a little bit of technique of, of the way I did a certain jump uh, an axle, uh, and a triple axle, 
when I would step on my takeoff foot, it was as though somebody was sticking my back with a knife mm. every time I step on it. So even though the back didn't hurt, that thought in your mind of, is it going to every time you step into it, not knowing, uh, changes your timing and your technique a little bit. So it was, it was kind of up and down a little bit with, with, this, with my technique for that, for that entire month and, and during the games uh, that year. So it was, yeah, it was unfortunate, but you know, I was still pretty young at the time. So I was like, okay, well, we did that. That's happened. And we'll try again the next time. <laughs> so with your career, you have your comeback and you're, you know, winning the world championships after you come back from your injuries and such. When you look back on your act active competition career, what are you most proud of? When you look back on, you know, what do you look back, look back on most fondly? You know, I, uh, I really would have to say getting through two, almost two things, getting through that dip, that 92 subpar performances, 93, just not making the world team, 94, again, not making the world team. And then that comeback in 95 to winning the national title again and making it back to the world championship, getting a silver medal there. That was kind of the second career <laughs> starting again and you know i had started it but then it went here and right. then it was like you know coming back from that was you know that resilience to get through it and and through the tough times knowing i should be here you know i was here at one time i should still be here and i, I i'm just not there anymore so once i got back to that level that was like a, a tremendous like weight off the shoulders like wow okay i'm back here i go and off and running we went for the next four years um so that was that was that was kind of the first one. The second uh, that's almost on par with it is at um, I took a, a couple of years off after the '98 Olympics, um, 1999 and 2000. I kind of did some tours and some shows and different things, and didn't compete for those two years. And then I came back the year before the 2002 Games, and had to get my head back into competitive mode instead of touring and shows and having a little more fun. Uh, so at 29, 30 years old to come back and get into even better shape than I was previously, learn a quadruple jump, get out there wow. and be able to compete with the big guys at, you know, 29, 30 years old was, was a, a, a difficult task and, sure. and something that, uh, you know, really made me feel great about being able to be come back from that and be competitive, uh, you know, with, with the top guys at that time. So yeah, that was, that was a big one too. Incredible. What do you think it took to come back at 2930 and, and compete? So you said like, you know, there was a lot of shows, there was more performances, but to come back and compete, what did it take to shift in your mindset? I knew even, even as I was doing shows, I mean, I was still keeping my skills going and, and um, you know, to do the shows, mm -hmm. I, I knew I still felt physically, I felt great. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, up until that point, uh, I hadn't competed the Olympics, the way that I had hoped to compete. I missed meddling at the Olympics in 98 by one spot. I was fourth. So that medal was kind of hanging out there waiting and, <laughs> you know, trying to go get it again and, uh, you know, feeling good and feeling like I could go back and, and be competitive with the guys who were competing uh, as long as I could learn, you know, quadruple jump and some skills uh, and get back into that training mindset. Um, I, I still felt good enough to go for it. And, I placed third at the world championships the year before the Olympics. So I kind of solidified that in my own mind that I made the right decision to come back. And it was like, okay, here we go. Let's go for the Olympics. Yeah. And, you know, off and running, we were going, but yeah, that, that just the idea of not finishing an Olympic games with a, a good taste in my mouth. I, I, I made mistakes in the long program in 98. So I was on the podium after the short program and then fell off. Um, so it, it kind of was like, mm, I want to try that again. <laughs> I, you know, just my nature of right. wanting to do it again, uh, try and achieve that, that goal. Um, so I, I gave it a shot and I, I didn't come away with a medal, but I, I skated and, and trained exactly the way I wanted to for the 2002 season. And I made a mistake in the short program, which kind of took me out of contention. It's a little different with the scoring nowadays, but uh, took me out of contention. So I went out and skated a, other than one fall in the quad, a, a clean long program at the Olympics. So it was a, it was a great way to kind of end, uh, that amateur part of my career with a, a really good skate and, and to, to do it in the United States in front of a home crowd. It, 
again, to have the opportunity to compete in the Olympics in your, your home country is just something that not everybody gets a chance to do. So it was another reason to, to go for it again and have a great time at it. Cool. Amazing. Could you tell us a little bit about what it takes to train for the Olympics and as an Olympic skater? Like, what does the day-to-day look like? I know it sounds, I mean, wild, right? And I know it is wild, but why don't you like run us through what that might look like? And I know this might change depending on, you know, which group that might be when it comes to figure skating. Back in my day, the off-ice training was definitely not as intense as it is now. Okay. Um, you know, I would do a little bit of off ice. I did some ballet. I would do a little bit of workout and stuff like that and do some jumps on the floor. Now it's ramped up and it's a lot more than it used to be. I mean, it, the off ice component to it. And I think that's why the skaters are able to do, uh, I mean, the technology in the skates is a little bit different, but I think that's why they're able to do a lot of things that we didn't do back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. they, they've pushed the envelope of more difficult jumps, doing quadruple jumps, doing quadruple axles now, which is insane. Uh, right. you know, and, 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 and being able, I mean, we'll, we'll see how those injuries happen down, down the road for some of these people with pushing your, you know, physically pushing your, your body to the you know limit and beyond. I mean, that's what we felt like we were doing. We see these guys doing this crazy stuff now. I mean, who knows what that's going to be? I mean, I've got a hip replacement that's 11 years old, so I know what that did to me, but, uh, wow. you know, I think it's, it's one of those things we'll see what, what happens, but, um, it, I mean, day to day, I trained probably three hours a day on the ice. And then I would do three, four days a week of some either off ice component of some kind, whether it be dance or workout or this or that. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. I mean, those, those hours I would run my, my routines. I would do long program, my free program in the morning and my short program again. And then I would do my free program again in the afternoon. So I was you know running lots of programs um several programs not tons but you know three programs a day and and you know just trying to get my physical um you know stamina uh up so that i i didn't feel like when it came competition time that i was running out of gas towards the end of my program i always like to feel like i was like okay i got something left in the tank let's keep going let's push because you never feel as good when you're in a competition (laughs) the nerves kick in and your legs feel a little stiff and a little bit tighter so you kind of really get going but uh you never feel exactly the way you do in, in a, in a practice day. But, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, the, the kids now with, with their off ice regimens, there's their training regimens. I mean, there, there's, there's different mentalities and I, I don't like to overtrain the kids because it is, it's a marathon. Like when you really look at it from the time you start to the time you may finish your amateur career, it's, it's really a marathon. So you, I, I don't really push the kids too hard, too young, mm-hmm. Because I think they, they, they need to learn basic skills. They need to learn basic skating, strong basics, so that they're able to build upon that at a, a good pace. Now, I'm never going to hold a kid back. If they're at eight years old, nine years old, and they're, they're capable of doing certain things physically that other kids at eight years old can't, yeah, go for it. <laughs> if we're going we're gonna to push, we're going to go. Um, but I, I know that at that age there's a long road i mean they're they're changing the rules for the ages for the olympics now and it's they're kind of pushing that it's going to be 17 years old for the girls to be able to compete at the olympics mm-hmm. and so that that changes a lot of the mentality in my opinion on how you train kids as well and i think an eight-year-old doesn't have to be out there trying to throw triple jumps all over the place i think you learn a little bit more of how to skate better and how to do this and various other things but uh, it, it's not a race to try to get to the Olympics as fast as you can and, and compete at 15 years old, 16 years old, and then hopefully win a medal and move on, <laughs> you know, and then figure out what you're going to do the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there's, there's a lot more longevity that, that will happen hopefully. And, and I think it's, it's necessary for the sport and the, the, the interest and longevity in the sport right. that they keep doing that. They keep that age, to where kids can continue to compete longer. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's, a, there's a lot of other things that go into that as far as the rules and, and what I think the physical demands are on the kids. I think they need to really address that and look at that because they, you've got kids are still growing and developing at 14, 15, 16 years old, right. even 17, that you know, 
the demand on their body, what is that going to do down the road for them? And not only that, what does it do to your sport if at 17, they're just wrecked, their bodies are wrecked and they can't keep going. And then there's, there's no, I look at the older skaters, the Michelle Kwans, the, the other skaters who win a nine national titles and, and who win multiple world titles. Mm-hmm. Nobody stays in the sport long enough anymore because their bodies are destroyed. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to create rivalries within the sport, healthy, of course, right. rivalries within the sport to where people get interested. I mean, I don't, I watch, I like golf. So I watch golf. There's rivalries all over the place in golf because those guys are still going. Mm-hmm. They, they keep going. They don't beat up their bodies. I mean, they kind of do, but they don't beat up their bodies, but they can keep playing and they can keep doing it for a long period of time. And I think the demand physically on the, the technical side of our sport is so high that you can't maintain your health really physically right. for that long a period of time. Yep. You know, I, I think you're just going to wear out a lot faster. And I mean, we're, we're asking kids to wear out at 16 years old. It's, it's crazy. We'll be back after this message. Founded in 1957, School Health Corporation has been dedicated to helping school-based health professionals keep their students healthy for athletic performance. As a national full-service provider of health supplies and services, School Health's comprehensive offerings include hydration supplies to prevent heat illnesses, sports medicine, recovery and rehabilitation equipment, and school safety infographics for our athletes and the arts community. School Health provides more than just products and resources for performing artists and musicians. They also offer training, advisory services, and exceptional customer care for those supporting performers on school campuses. For more information, please visit www.schoolhealth.com. And now back to the show. So how do you stress the importance of balance in the younger age group? And the reason I'm asking this is from a coaching standpoint, um, how do you make sure that there's some sort of balance? Because I've worked with a lot of figure skaters who they're, they're homeschooled. Their schedules are back to back to back. And then maybe around lunchtime, they're coming home and doing the school. But then meals, there's not always a refrigerator wherever they're training. So they may not have the meals and the snacks. And what I wonder is, you know, from a coaching standpoint, are there conversations that are had with parents? Um, and, and you've been through it, right? So you've been through all of this and you're seeing the change and the shift. I assume balance is important. Um, what does that conversation look like and how do you, how do you tackle that? It is. And it's, it's a very difficult conversation yeah. depend, depending on the parents, obviously, you know, right. I mean, there are some parents that are more open to that concept. Some parents that think it's a sprint and we got to get our kids to the, the best. They got to be the best by the time they're 10 years older. That's it. I mean, I've had parents say, look, if my daughter's not doing triples and not, you know, going to nationals by the time she's 13 years old or whatever, that, you know, we're just going to quit and go to school and be done with it. I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> if I quit at 13 years old, I would have never done anything. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so it's, it, the challenge is trying to get them to understand, look, this isn't like, learning the piano. This isn't like learning something that you can just sit and practice it for hours and hours and hours every day. And you just get better at it. Yes, you can do that. But at some point, it's going to take its toll physically on your body. You know, I mean, playing the piano for four or five hours a day. Yeah, that's crazy to think about that. But you're sitting there. Yeah, your your hands are going to hurt. But it's it's not as physically demanding on your body as going and doing all of these crazy things that we're asking these kids to do. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a hard conversation to have with some of the parents, but it, a lot of them, when you break it down and, and one good thing that they, with this age change has, I think gotten some parents to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and go, Oh, okay. So I want my daughter to get to the Olympics. Yeah. And of course, the pyramids like this, and there's a lot of kids that skate, this many people get to the Olympics. So laying that out for them and then saying, hey, look, we have until this time. So your daughter is eight years old right now. She can't even be eligible to compete until three more Olympics. So it's like, 
let's just take it easy here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's work on our skills. Let's get better. Let's stay healthy. And then if we get there, we get there, right? Because there's only going to be out of the entire country, two, three kids uh, in singles that are going to go. So, I mean, you got thousands of them and only maybe two or three go. So it's, it's a long road and it's, it's a very narrow road when it gets to the top. Um, But we, when you, when you kind of put it out in front of them that way and say, Hey, look, you're eight, you got a long way to go. I think they, most of them will really understand, okay, I don't need to push my kid to get this by the time they're eight years old, by the time they're nine years old, to be at this level, by the time they're 12 years old, mm-hmm. we have time. And, and I think that's one of the things that pushing the age out is going to really resonate over the years with a lot of people and be like, Hey, look, let's, let's learn how to skate. Let's not get a rush to go learn the highest, hardest jump and, and beat our body up trying to do it. And then maybe we get injured and we can't do this anymore at all by the time we're 13, 14 years old. So it, it, I, I like the age change concept um, because kids will stay in a little bit longer and, and there will be that concept of, Hey, these guys have been competing against each other since they were 13 years old. Now they're 17. They're going to the Olympics They're It's going to be their first time, but we, we, we have a history with them. We know them. And, and there, there isn't that much of that anymore. I mean, you look at this past Olympics and the girls from Russia and whatever and other mm-hmm. countries that were winning medals. I mean, it's a whole different concept with those scandals and so on and so forth, but you know, you're not going to see any of them ever again. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's crazy. Yeah. Like if Michelle Kwan went to the Olympics, if Tara Lipinski went to the Olympics one time, if these people went one time and they got a medal and then they left, okay, well now it's a whole new crop of people. So the interest in the sport with the general public who only watches it maybe once every four years goes, oh, okay, who's in there now? We don't, we don't know any of these people. Like, so their interest is like, oh, okay, maybe we'll watch it and we'll see. They don't, they don't know people. Like when, when I competed, yeah people knew us. We, we were, we were part of their, their household. I mean, there was a lot more on TV and a lot more accessible yeah. as far as shows and competitions and different mm-hmm. things. So we were more in front of them, however. And that's something that I think needs to come back a little bit more is that they, they need to know these kids. Like they don't know a lot of these kids, even from the time that they're 13, 14 years old, they don't know. Them. They need to know them. I mean, we knew Michelle from when she was 13 years old competing at the nationals and trying to make a world team. Right. all the way until she was in her 20s. So, I mean, everybody knew who she was. Now you have a 13-year-old that may come and go by the time she's 15, she's out. We don't know her. So it, it, it's, it's going to be nice to have that concept. Hopefully they really embrace that concept a little bit more with, hey, we need to put these kids out in front of people. We need to get them to know these kids so that the interest in our sport goes back up to what it used to be. You know, it, it's, it's a shame to kind of see it, take that dip yeah. and, and really, I mean, it was the number one watched sport in the Olympic, in the winter Olympics. And, and yeah. And now, I mean, a lot of kids are like, Hey, I want to watch those aerial snowboarding guys that are flipping and flopping all over the place and doing crazy stuff. I mean, that's a little generational thing, but still it figure skating still has that space of, and, and the only space really in the Olympics of here's a sport that is an art form. Mm-hmm. So you can draw people who just love music, people who love dance, people who love skating, people who love those different aspects. Cause we all, we put it all into one thing. <laughs> you know, you can go watch people jump, you know, high jump, long jump, this, and you know, whatever else there is out there, all the skiing and crazy stuff. You go fast mm-hmm. downhill. Great. That's awesome. And if you know the sport, you know, it technically a little better than the lay person who just watches it once every four years. But our sport is a little bit different from that. It, it really brings in a lot more people and a lot more interest because it's more entertainment at the same time as a sport. So that entertainment value, I think, needs to be really harnessed a little bit more because it really makes it probably the most unique of, of all the sports in, in the Olympics. So you bring up a great point about correlating skating with dancing and things. So like, for instance, sports like uh, like gymnastics, for instance, are always like Simone Biles is raising the, the bar of what techniques can be done, right? And inventing her own moves and such. And so with women doing quads and, you know, the guys pushing themselves further and further, is this force 
this uh, compulsion to do the next best greatest physical task counterintuitive to helping to protect the dancers or the skaters from having a longer career because it seems like with like social media and with like this quick bites, I mean, the, the clip of someone flying through the air, uh, a quintuple I'm sure is coming up next. Then like, it's just going to be, you know, you already you mentioned your hip replacement here already. Yeah. Um, right. So like, is that, is that at odds with this idea? Because I think you, you're, you're totally right. I can still remember all you know, everybody you mentioned Boitano and, and, and all the other famous scares in the past. Those names still resonate because we saw them so many times, but yeah. it's counterintuitive with this compulsion to have to push the sport further in a technical aspect where it's going to hurt the body. So how do we fight back against that? Yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's hard. You, any, any sport you want to push athletically, you want to push it, you know, okay, we're trying to run faster. We're trying to jump higher. We're trying to do all these different things in these other sports, but that's not the only thing our sport is about. Right. right. So I think that's, that's where, we need to we need to kind of curb that and say hey look here's here's a level that bodies at some point you know and and this maybe is something that happens over time with you know doctors and whoever else that physically look at the the human body and and what the after effects are of doing quadruple jumps for this amount of time what is that doing how is that deteriorating your body and is it doing it at a faster rate than what used to happen in the in the old days when we didn't do all those crazy things. And right. you, I mean, you can look at older skaters that are even like generations before me and physically they're probably in better shape than I am. <laughs> it's because they, their, the demands on their bodies more, wasn't quite the same. And, you know, I mean, technology of the skates has changed over time. So that's helped. However, I mean, the physical body is, is what it is. And, and it's, sure you can get a little bit stronger you can get a little bit this a little bit that but it, it, it the the demand and on the technique of what you need to be able to do and then the forces that are put on the body to do some of these bigger crazier jumps is so much greater i think than what the physical body can keep up with and and i think i agree that they really need to look at Hey, look, guys, this is this is good. We're good here. Okay, let's do this. I mean, if I had, if I had it my way, I would I would take a couple of jumps out of every program. I, you're going to remove a couple of jumps. I may take a spin out, and and keep the length of a program similar, but allow them the freedom to be more entertaining, mm. and yet less physically demanding. So that a we're probably going to watch better performances because they're not just trying to jump themselves to death in four minutes. They're they're going to have a little bit of time to breathe and to entertain, to bring the audience in, to kind of wrap you into their performance and now make it more interesting to watch. Um, I, I think they have to kind of really look at that and go, hey, these kids can train this on a day to day basis a lot easier. Their bodies are going to last longer they're going to stay in the sport longer and it's going to create a more interesting event because now most people are skating very well, doing cleaner, better performances. The competition is a little bit tighter, a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, okay, who's going to win today? Right? So it's not like, all right, this guy can survive because he can do the most jumps. Uh, well, okay. That's interesting to a certain level if it's just a jump competition, but that's not what our sport is. That's right. other sports. Our sport brings in other things, and 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 we need we need to harness those other things that make us unique, and and really set us apart from just being an athletic sport. It's we we have that entertainment value to it. The you guys definitely have an entertaining value to it. I I find watching ice skating competitions just so healing. I know it may not be like that for the actual athlete, but for the viewer, <laughs> it, I could watch it for hours. Um, and this brings me to my next question, Julie, not to put you on the spot, but I would love to know how you have used ice skating in your life because you shared a little precious story before the podcast began and how you and Todd connected through ice skating. Sure. My pleasure. Um, really, my entire life was all about ballet. I started at three and a half and that was my world. My sister was the ice skater and I did not ice skating that was not my place um didn't like the ice skating rink and i but i always loved the aspect you're just talking about which is the artistry 
which is the, you know, I could watch ice skating for hours because I was really looking at the artistry. I go back to Peggy Fleming and Dorothy Hamill and Michelle Kwan and, you know, and Todd and Brian Boitano and Paul Wiley and, and the artistry that they brought to the skates. I was in awe of it, but I never had any desire to even try it, to even go that route until a friend of mine um, introduced me to Great Park Ice in Irvine back in 2019 when it first opened. And, and I went there and I did a little public session and I looked at the website and they were starting up Learn to Skate classes and I went, oh my goodness, that's, that's hysterical. Me going to an ice skating class? And I went, oh, well, what the heck, I can do that on a Thursday night. And I went to the beginner's adult level one and went, this is kind of fun. Okay, well, maybe I'll try two and maybe I'll quit after that. You know, I don't know. I don't know where this is going, but there is something very freeing about it. Todd mentioned that before. So I went to the ice rink and there on the boards, on the side of the board was um, the listing of who the coaches were and level two and level three were combined at the time. And it said Todd E. And I was like, I knew he coached there, but I was like, I'll probably never meet him. Um, and lo and behold, he was our coach for level two and level three. And instantly, you know, I just was, you know, one, I was, um, uh, felt very privileged to be um, having my coach at the very beginning level of where I was be Todd, but he was so instrumental in really his technique and what he showed to us and the way he described it and the way he um, just really demonstrated it. And, you know, he had such a bond with his adult skaters and, and another coach um, that I took on later on said, you know, we love teaching adult skaters because they want to be there. And so that was something that we all had as a common bond, but that's where it went. I then, uh, you know, I took the class twice and Todd passed me, which I still am surprised, but I went on to four, five, six and went on. Um, I take an edges class. I have a private coach. I have no desire to compete. Maybe I'll test, <laughs> you know, that might be um, in my cards, but um, just to do it for the fun of it. But it really is so freeing. And the one thing I'll say is during the pandemic, when Great Parks Ice finally opened and we were able to kind of peek back into our regular lives, it was very different back then. We only had, I think, I don't know how many skaters on the ice, but, you know, we could only go in and, you know, 15 minutes before the session had to go right into the rink, put our masks on, you know, skate with masks and everything. But that for me was my, uh, for emotional well-being just helped me clear my head of everything that was going on in the world and just the uncertainty of where we were going. And for that hour, I was in my own mental um, euphoria of just a wonderful place and a safe place. So uh, that's kind of how it all began and how I, I met Todd. And, and I've just been hooked on it ever since. And um, it's very addictive. Well, you've been involved with Athletes in the Arts for 10 years. Uh, since we started this whole thing and then your background yes. in dance and seeing the aspects of dance and skating and such. And so now you getting a chance to actually do it yourself and be trained by one of the best skaters ever from, from the United States. Um, how does it change your perspective on how to take care and how to help with the wellness of figure skaters? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, you know, people had said to me when I, you know, when they first found out, like, <laughs> what, you're ice skating, you know, at your age? And, and, you know, why? And I said, well, you know, uh, some people say, well, it must be so easy. You've taken dance all your life. Of course, it's just ice skating is just dancing on ice. And like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's not that at all. But, um, you know, I um, definitely know that the balance part from dance has helped in the ice skating aspect of it. Um, the grace of ballet is always going to be something that will be to the benefit of a, a, a new skater. And I highly suggest that all skaters take ballet. Um, I take ballet at Great Park Ice from one of the best Russian uh, ballet teachers there around who uh, was from the Bolshoi Ballet and has taught you know, many of the top skaters in the world um, ballet. Um, but really from the health and wellness perspective, um, uh, it, it is a different animal, a different beast because, you know, my goal of course is not to hurt myself. Um, and, uh, with dance, um, I knew how to take care of myself. I knew, you know, my limitations and of course I'm, you know, much more, um, passive when it comes to the skating world of it, but there are some similarities. I mean, there's definitely similarities of, you know, really not 
pushing yourself over those limits of your capabilities. But um, I'm in awe of those who do push the envelope, uh, even in the dance world today. But like Todd said, you wonder where they're going with their potential injuries down the road if they don't really take care of their bodies, um, you know, and really listen to their bodies. So Todd, do you, when there's like an adult that comes in, I'm just thinking for myself, like if I want to get back into ice skating um, in, I don't know, thirties, forties, is, do you like put a limit on how much one can perform and the kinds of things they can do? as a coach, like, would you be telling me I can't do certain things or if I was, you know, I just, I'm just curious. Like I, I worry about the injury aspect. I'm just starting to think about if I want to make this as part of my longevity and an activity that gives me healing powers and I don't know, allows me to have more grace in my life. Like what do I need to know? And and where do you tell people if any, there's like a limit, is there, is there a limit? Well, I think first first day we don't go for the back flip. Like that's where we <laughs> start. <laughs> we'll stick to getting the skates on, get on the ice, and start feeling comfortable. Um, uh, anybody, I mean, it, it's going to vary. Obviously, anybody who has previously skated as they were if they were younger, um, they almost immediately like riding a bike again. Same kind of concept. Like they immediately have a sense of what this animal of skating and gliding and the skates and the balance is all about. So they start with a learning curve that's much higher than somebody who has never stepped on the ice before. If you have an adult that's never stepped on the ice before and they're getting on for the first time, they have just absolutely no concept of what's going to happen when they step on the ice the first time and yeah. what, what the, I mean, the, the bottom of the, the blade is, has a curve to it. So you have a rocking motion back to forward, let alone it's a skinny little blade that this tips easy from side to side. So there's a lot of other movements that they're not used to just in skates in general, even before you even step on the ice and becomes a slippery surface. But like Julie was saying, when she's on the floor and she's dancing, there's, there's a sense of, okay, I have my balance, I have my bearings, I know, and somebody can go and just go dance and, and learn how to pick that up. And it, it, there's obviously many levels to that world because I'm not going to get to a level of doing dance at any high level. However, um, there's a, a, a specific different kind of balance because you're just in your shoes and you're on the floor. And now we're going to take that floor and make it slippery. So let's put some water on that dance floor. And all of a sudden you got some flat soled shoes. Now, now go out there and try and dance the way you did before. Now, Oh my God, hold on a second. This is crazy. So there, there's a very different level of let's get on the ice and let's see if we can just walk just baby steps, you know, and it's, it really, it really becomes that. And, and it's funny because there are a lot of adults that will get on the ice for the first time and feel that, oh, yeah, I can do this. No problem. I got it. And they'll take a two steps and they're like, oh, God, <laughs> I don't have it. <laughs> I got I got to figure this out because this is a whole different deal. And, you know, again, with anything, with, with any sport or any activity that you've never done as a child, if you're doing it as an adult, there's an unknown and and there's always that fear of getting hurt, right? So if I went and played a sport that I've never done before, and it's a, let's say it's a contact sport, you know, I'm gonna be afraid I'm gonna get annihilated by somebody who's already done this before, right? So I, 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 it's just a, a different thing. And you're when you're a kid, you're fearless and you go out there, okay, you do it, you fall down. Well, you're falling from this high as opposed to falling from six feet in the air. <laughs> the, the impact isn't quite as great. And you bounce back up because kids are you know, made of rubber. They just bounce right back up, and there they go. You know, it, bones don't break as easily as they do for for all of us. So it's it's uh, um, it, it's it's baby steps. It really is. It really comes down to getting on on there and really getting a sense for holding on to something and and really feeling what's happening with with your feet and how to try to balance. I mean, the, sure. that's the number one thing is how do I balance on these things. And then I'll figure out how do I get moving, all right? So, I mean, putting those two aspects together. But as Julie says, you know, I mean, the first time you get on and, and maybe you skate a little bit as, as on public sessions before taking some of the classes, so you had a little bit of an idea. But a lot of these people, it's 
hard to get going, but once they do and they feel that movement, they feel that glide and, and they have that sense of like, wow, this is really cool. This is, and, it, and it's a freeing moment of like, Ooh, I can just kind of cruise around out here. This is really fun. And, and it, it really is one of the things about skating. I think that a lot of people gravitate towards at any age, doesn't matter if you're young or old, um, is just that freedom of that movement and, and being able to do it and effortlessly do it once you learn it, <laughs> um, but effortlessly do it that you can't get anywhere else. You know I mean? Dance, you, you keep moving. Okay. You have to keep moving. You can't just take one step and keep moving. You got to take another step on the ice, one step and you're gliding and you're off and going and you can just hang out there as long as you want <laughs> for the most part. So it, it's really unique in that aspect. So then we, with your, you know, storied career and all the success you had as a performer and an athlete now being coach, there are a lot of folks who are really good in their, their playing career and then they become coaches and they, they're terrible. Magic Johnson tried coaching the Lakers was terrible. Um, other guy, Steve Kerr, is amazing. So how did you negotiate the transition from being a, uh, an athlete to a coach? And how, how do you translate that into being a good coach after being coached for all your life? It's, it's a challenge, actually. It's, it's interesting because it, it's having been a skater and watching my coach at the time or my coaches at the time, dealing with other skaters and parents and the whole bit and, and never, you know, just watching it from the outside never having to be a part of that whole concept. When you are a part of that concept as a coach, it's like, Oh, so this is all the stuff he used to talk about and have to deal with besides <laughs> just teaching me. Okay. Um, right. so there, I mean, there's always, there's a learning curve with anything. I mean, as a skater and you can be the best skater in the world. And, and like you say, be a terrible coach be, or just be a, an okay coach, be an average coach, you know, and, and some of it comes down to what's your desire and, and what, what desires do you have as, as a, a, a skater now becoming a coach, do you do you want to be the best coach in the world? Do you want to be a, a great coach and help kids get to a certain level? What is your level now at, at that um, in that aspect, I guess, of of your skating life? Um, you know, and, and I mean, I, I'd like to take kids to the Olympic Games and, and get them there and, and and help them achieve their goals, like my coach did for me. Um, you know, I I, I don't. It's maybe weird to say, but I, I don't see coaching as being a defining role in mm-hmm. in my 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 part of the, the skating world. I, I I enjoy doing it. I love teaching the kids. I love teaching the adults and different people and and helping them to get better. Um, but I don't want it to be the all encompassing like it's my life. You know, right. I, I mean, because it is. I've got two kids. I've got you know my family here, and, and so I've got other things that, that happen in right. my life, you know, that, that I really want to have as, as much of a focus on. So I don't want it to just be this and that's it. I have other things and my son's in music, my other son's right. to be an actor, and different things. So like I want them to, and I want to be there to help them and support them and, and do that kind of stuff as well. So it's, it's hard because you can't, unless you're 100% engaged all the time in one thing, you, you're, you're going to, it's going to be this it's going to be tunnel vision. And, sure. and I don't want the other aspects of my, my family life to suffer because of just being all in, all in on, on that. I mean, I did it as a skater and it, it was different at that time because I didn't have a family. So it, it, now it's, yep. I'm when I'm at the rink, I'm all in on what they're doing, but it's, there's a, a different level to it. So it's, um, you know, I, I, I like, I work with a lot of other people's students, like they are their head coach. And I work with a lot of those kids. I have my own students as well. Um, but I, I don't like that number to get too big to where I feel like I just have no time for anything else other than mm-hmm. I'm just dealing with what they do on the ice and then trying to manage their careers, like 10 different careers off the ice and, and what they have to do for everything. Like to me, that's a little, woo. Yeah, right. <laughs> so your brain gets a little crazy at that point. So I, I, I want to, again, we talk about balance. I want to keep that balance of right. work, family, all that stuff. Do you get people refer to you specifically for certain aspects of skating? Like I need you to see coach Todd because he'll help you with this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and that's why I say, you know, I, there's other, other coaches at the rank, other people that'll be like, Hey, uh, can you take a look at my students, this move or that move or these things or whatever. And I'll say, sure, whatever. If I got time in my schedule and we can make it work. Great. Perfect. I'll, I'll help them out. 
So I, I, and I enjoy that because it's, I can help them get better at something, whatever it may be. And then their coaches work with them and their coaches like, Hey, that's cool. Thanks. You know, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I like that part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. So I don't know if this is, I'm going to try and ask this the right way, but when it comes to someone who's been ice skating their whole life, they start young, they're doing this all throughout their teen years, maybe early college years. And, you know, from your personal experience to now your coaching experience, how did you find your sense of identity outside of ice skating? Because, and maybe you, you ice skating was your world and that was what it was all about. But I guess now coaching others, are you encouraging this exploring like their sense of identity it sounds like with your own kids you're not forcing them into ice skating no. they're doing they're doing activities which is so great but i think i think they're again with the ice skaters that i've worked with it's like ice skating is everything everything yeah as a as a skater i was very much that way um early in my career as i was younger yeah, I was like, oh, I want to skate, whatever, I would do this, you know, and that's what I did. I mean, I did, it was very different back then because there's, homeschool wasn't a thing when I was young and, in, and still in high school uh, or grade school. Now it's homeschool. Everybody's homeschool because I want to focus on whatever it may be. If they're doing gymnastics, skating, you know, golf, tennis, whatever it is, it's focus on whatever thing they're doing, very narrow and schooling is there too. Uh, I, and I, I like how it ended up playing out for me and being where I went to school and did my skating before and after. And I, I, I had the social aspect of being around other kids that were not in the skating world <laughs> and, and kind of, I guess, getting a better sense of what real life, if you will, or what their lives were like and there was that interaction of hey what what's your day look like you go skating you do this you do that hey what's your day look like you do go do these things and, and you're in the football team or you're in the band or you're doing this you're doing that. so there was more understanding between each other of other worlds and and other things besides just hey what did you do on the ice today you know that kind of stuff and and everything wasn't just skating 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 all the time um of course you bring in social media and you bring in all that stuff. So everybody knows everything about everybody nowadays and sees what everybody's doing. Cause everybody's like, Oh, I gotta, da, da, da. I gotta post it now. And everybody's got to see my life and all that stuff. And, and so that, that brings in a whole different level of trying to stay connected, but not the same. Like to me, social media is fun kind of, but it's just, you're not as this as connected the same way as a personal interaction. You know, to me, the, the personal interaction between people is much more important and much more valuable, I think, um, for, especially for kids. Um, you know, they pick up certain things from each other. Um, I think a lot easier when it is that face-to-face and, and in a group setting of with other kids. And, and I think that's something that's with other, other kids in, I guess I will say from various walks of life, if you will, you know, and that have other interests besides just what you're interested in too. Um, so I, I like that about what, what I had, um, as a skater and person. Um, and I, you know, like you talk about with my, with our kids, um, you know, my youngest is into, uh, music. He loves piano and violin and uh, anything to do with music, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> and they like, Oh, okay, let's play this. Oh, okay. Let's do that. Let's play it. Uh, he's got that brain. I, I don't know. He didn't get it from me, but, uh, <laughs> And then, you know, my oldest is into, wants to be an actor and he's working at a place now and trying to scare people in the whole bit and doing that for the haunted house. <laughs> so he's, he's finding what he's, he's interested in. And, um, you know, fortunately, I guess, maybe neither one of them really took an interest that much into skating, which I kind of like because then there isn't that living in the shadows, living in, you know, having to live up to certain things because, you know, your mom and dad were both skaters. They both achieved certain accomplishments and, you know, they, they can go and do their own thing in their own lives. And it's, it's what they want to do. And, and they've figured it out on their own with what they're really interested in doing. And that's, I mean, my parents did that as well for me and my brother. I mean, I was interested in skating and we, we did it. We skated. My brother got interested in tennis and, and some other, other sports and stuff. So, 
um, you know, the kids will kind of figure out what they gravitate towards and what they like and what their, their, uh, interests are. And, uh, you know, there, I mean, there are a lot of kids that skating is a part of their life and a big part of their life, but they're also in other things. I mean, there's some kids that, uh, one of the Canadian skaters, uh, Eric Radford, I mean, he is a brilliant pianist and, and I mean, he's composed songs for himself and for other skaters that they've used at the Olympics. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, he obviously was a great skater himself as an Olympic medalist, but uh, he's gone. Very cool. Other stuff. Yeah, it's really pretty interesting how that mm-hmm. crossover happened for him. And, and you know, he, music was a thing for him and still is. So, yeah. So as we're wrapping up the show here, I wanted to ask just kind of like your your take on the Olympic program as we're getting we're a couple of years away from the next Winter Olympics in Italy. So how is the state of of figure skating in America now and how can we get better in the next few years to compete uh, at the highest level against uh, Russia and Japan and all these other countries? Well, there's such, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question too, because there's so much up in the air with the, the decision that's still <laughs> sure. depending upon whether or not the, the, the medals and the, this and the, that, and what happens with the Russian team and the, the Olympics, sure. the Olympics and all that. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there. As far as the American team, um, you know, we uh, we have the, the only skater in the history of the sport to you know, perform a quadruple axel. Um, he's our national champion now, Ilya Malinin. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's kind of the top guy. He's he's taken the seat uh, from Nathan Chen, who was the top guy for many years. And now he's kind of filled that role of the here's the next guy that's the guy to beat going into the next, the next Olympics. And, um, you know, I mean, there's other guys out there and, and, uh, specifically a lot of Japanese skaters who are very, very good right now, um, who will also give him a run for his money. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch for that over the next few years. Um, he's really the top guy. I mean, Jason Brown is a beautiful skater, wonderful skater, technically not up to the same level as a lot of the other guys, but he makes up for it almost makes up for it in, in what he does and the quality of the other things that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you take those two skaters, your, your Ilya with his technical ability to be like way up here above everybody else. And then Jason, who's way up here above everybody artistically and, and in the quality of the elements that he does mm-hmm. somehow finding that skater that can maybe bring this down a little bit and bring this into it. And here you go. You got the perfect skater, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that's where I would like, I would love to see the sport go in that direction um, to where we're still pushing it athletically, but not too crazy, but we're really focusing on the quality of the product that we're delivering and that the skaters are delivering on a day-to-day basis and being able to physically train it on a day-to-day basis. Um, I mean, our ladies, we've got a little, a young little girl, Isabeau. Um, she's our national, our new national champion last year. She's a really good jumper. She's, she's going to be one that's could contend. I mean, it just depends, like I said, on what happens with, with some of the Russian skaters. And I mean, they've right. been very dominant in, in the world of women's figure skating for many years. So, you know, what, what does that look like? Who knows? We'll see. Uh, hopefully there's a decision someday. <laughs> right, yeah. November, December coming up, something like that, whatever the next thing is. Going on for a while, yeah. But, um, you know, in, in our pairs has always kind of, it's been good. Uh, Brandon and Alexa, world champions, uh, but we've kind of struggled to to be on par with the Russians and the Chinese teams who haven't been there per se in the last couple of years, but uh, could be back. And, and you know, we got to kind of push a little bit there our dance teams have been pretty strong for many years uh, with Charlie and Merrill and then um, Madison and Evan and some of the others. So it's been uh, Shubatani's. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it, we've had some really good dance teams over the last several years. And I, I think we've got a couple of teams now that are still pretty strong. So, uh, so I mean, we're, we're looking good. I mean, we're, we look good as a, as a team as a whole and, you know, hopefully there's some, some new faces that might kind of creep in there and, and uh, you know, make it, make a run for, for the games. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of up in the air for a few spots. So it, it should be interesting to watch some of the skaters and see who steps up over the next few years. Is it safe to say that if you're, if the American team had the same moxie and determination in skating as Julie, that we would be <laughs> like able to like, w- you know, clean out all the medals and just walk home with everything? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, see, Julie, you got the you know a very high expertise uh, there in that opinion. So I think. Uh, thank you, Todd. Yes, uh, of course. <laughs> well, Julie, Todd, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts uh, for being on the show today. Todd, your passion is so infectious. I want to go out and skate tomorrow. Uh, the Detroit Skating Club and follow your near footsteps. And after falling a few times, I'll just sit back and just brag about talking to you on this podcast. So, um, but thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And best of luck with everything in the future. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was great. And that wraps up another episode. We'd like to thank our sponsor, School Health, again for supporting the show. And if you like what you hear, please click subscribe and leave a review. For Yassian Sari, I'm Stephen Karaginas, and this has been the Athletes and the Arts Podcast. Mm-hmm.